Hello, I'm Greg. Let's have an inappropriate conversation about Halloween Sabbath. We've done the treats and the tricks. It's time for Black Sabbath. About three years ago, for Inappropriate Conversations number 102, I named Ozzy Osbourne as a different drummer. It was actually an episode focusing on alcohol use and alcohol abuse, so it kind of made sense to talk about Ozzy Osbourne. And this isn't going to be a different drummer segment where I name the rest of the band Black Sabbath as different drummers, but I would feel pretty comfortable saying that I'm going to spend this entire episode dealing directly or indirectly with the music of Black Sabbath and the link this due to primarily to the music. I think I've mentioned before in inappropriate conversations that being a music lover, especially a rock and roll music lover, it only makes sense to go back and look at those origin moments. And for me, the origin story hit me around the time of, well, it was actually Halloween night, I believe Halloween 1979, where my grandmother was in town and had missed giving me a birthday present. We'd missed an opportunity to get together before and do a birthday thing. And she had given me enough money to go to the store and buy something for myself. And what I wanted was music. And I didn't really go to the store that day knowing exactly what I wanted. I bought three albums that day with the money that my grandmother had given me. Maybe that in combination with some other birthday money. And the only thing I knew for sure that I was wanting to get was a hits collection by Black Sabbath. I also, that same day, bought a two or three record set from Rush, uh, All the World's a Stage, and Led Zeppelin IV. But the main focus of the trip and the purpose for going was to pick up We Sold Our Soul for Rock and Roll by Black Sabbath, which was my first album by them. And for the most part, with the exception of things I'd heard on the radio, Iron Man, uh, the title track to Paranoid, Much of this music was going to be music I heard for the very first time. So as we start this jukebox edition of Halloween, Halloween Sabbath, as I guess I'm going to call it, I want to play the first two songs I heard from the band, but I'm going to do it in inverse order, starting with The Wizard from their very first album, Black Sabbath, and then introducing the first other band performing Sabbath songs that I want to do a few more times during this particular inappropriate conversation. This one will be typo-negative from one of my favorite albums, titles of all time, called The Least Worst of Typo Negative. Uh, Their version of Black Sabbath, their reinterpretation of it, if you will, that originally appeared on Nativity in Black. Now, from the introductory music that I've used today, instead of the songs of Kevin MacLeod, I'll return to Kevin MacLeod with the next inappropriate conversation. But this is going to be all Black Sabbath all the time, wall to wall, and I suppose somebody could go with the the moments that I played there from uh, the basically or behind the wall sort of songs from that first Black Sabbath album, the interludes leading up to NIB, the Nativity in Black song. Don't get your hopes up. I'm not going to play that. In fact, NIB is actually my least favorite Black Sabbath song from this era. And actually the title track of this first album, Black Sabbath, Black Sabbath, also among my least favorite Black Sabbath songs. But we're going to get to a lot of my favorites the rest of the way and to sidestep the first, uh, the first Black Sabbath song, I'm going to let Typo Negative do the singing. But first, maybe the first song by Black Sabbath I actually heard when I brought that vinyl home and put it on and started with the second song on side one instead of the first, a track called The Wizard. <laughs> Thank you. 
So what Typo Negative did with their version of Black Sabbath was twist it around, and instead of telling the story from the perspective of a uh, uh, unsuspecting onlooker who chanced across some kind of a dark ritual, told the story from the perspective of the object of worship of that ritual, which was at least an interesting spin on what's become a bit of a cliched track. This is pretty typical. When you look at horror films in general, and horror is the genre that I think is best you can best criticize in this manner, so many times we've seen the same tropes over and over again that it takes something really unusual to give a spin to it, and it's not long after somebody takes a spin to a horror theme that all the imitators come along after that, and the spin itself becomes a cliche. But you got to give Typo Negative credit for being creative. I followed that up with a track from Black Sabbath's Paranoid, a paranoid song, as a matter of fact. Fairies Wear Boots, from that album. And then, returning to the original Nativity in Black collection, Megadeth, and uh, the title track to the Paranoid album, as interpreted by Dave Mustaine. I'm making an effort to mix in not just uh, the original classic lineup of Ozzy Osbourne and Black Sabbath, which is what I'm focusing on in this show. Uh, Despite the length, we're not going to venture into the era after Ozzy left the band and other singers. It's all focused on, say, the first eight albums. But... The, uh, that doesn't mean that it's all going to be Ozzy's voice. And that includes the next track. It's my favorite song, perhaps, by Black Sabbath, originally recorded on Volume 4. And I like the original Sabbath version of Supernaut so much better than this one. But 1,000 Homo DJs from that Nativity in Black collection, that tribute album, puts a spin on it that I don't have in any other way, shape, or form represented here on this Halloween Sabbath collection. Practically every one of the top 40 records being played on every radio station in the United States is a communication to the children to take a trip, to cop out, to groove. The psychedelic jackets on the record album have their own hidden symbols and messages as well as all the lyrics of all the top rock songs. And they all sing the same refrain. It's fun to take a trip. Put acid in your veins.
That was The Cardigans with Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath. The band that part The Cardigans probably best known for the Black Sabbath interpretation of the song Iron Man. That came out around 1996 on The First Band on the Moon, the same CD that had their breakthrough hit, Love Fool. But actually, before that was released, on another record label, they came out with this interpretation of Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath. And while it doesn't cover all the verses of the song, it certainly covers the song with more than just a bit of whimsy, which I really like. There will be more other artists coming into this as I play the, some of my favorite songs from Black Sabbath in this particular Halloween edition. But I think it's important to get back to the original, and perhaps my other, if I had to name two favorite Black Sabbath songs, Supernaut would be one. But the one I'm going to play that actually has Ozzy Osbourne on the singing, that actually is the full band performing, is The Thrill of It All from Sabotage. <laughs>
a one-man bang. Bust my knuckles in a junkyard scuffle. Whipping adversaries with a brass belt buckle. Born in the ghetto, hard like metal. Got an 87 back with a fat gas pedal. Live a hard life, shave with a knife. Love to get freaky on the gloomiest nights. I got childhood stalls in the streets of my life. Girls laugh, now they're begging to be mixed up my wife. The new breed is here, bitch. Atlantis of rap. Got eyes like fire with my boys in my back. Now I'm back for revenge and the rumors must end. Freaky breathing is out, boom.
with all the remakes I'm going to play today, my favorite remake of any Black Sabbath song of all time is Sepultura's version of Symptom of the Universe. That was preceded by my least favorite remake I'm going to share today, Iron Man via Sir Mix-a-Lot from the Swass album, but the, probably the breakthrough album by Sir Mix-a-Lot. And really not a terrible example of trying to mix rap and metal into a single track. I suppose, though, that it really doesn't hold a candle to the Cardigans remake of Iron Man, and certainly not to the Black Sabbath original. But I wanted to kind of, again, provide as much variety as I could. And although I'm going to rely very heavily the rest of the way, almost exclusively with Black Sabbath themselves doing the music, I did want to share some of those other tracks from the Nativity in Black collection in particular. And, and nobody, I think, captures the, the crunchy, hardcore nature of some of the Black Sabbath songs better than Sepultura on Symptom of the Universe. Imagine, if you will, that you're in a college environment as a college student, senior year or perhaps second senior year, and it's Halloween night. And Halloween night, in this case, perhaps even falling on a weekend, a Friday night or a Saturday night. And you've come back from a night out doing what whatever college seniors do for trick-or-treating, returning your, to your apartment and expecting that when you get back to your college apartment that one of your roommates is going to be there because one of your roommates was hosting a small get-together. I'm not going to call it a party, but a small get-together in that apartment. But when you open the door up, what you've got is an essentially completely black uh, two-bedroom apartment with nothing but maybe a candle or two shining the music of Black Sabbath or something very similar playing in the background because this party that might have started off with some beer and some card games and a tribute to the music of the recently dead musicians uh, moved from there into spooky musicians and ultimately any any celebration of spooky music is going to veer in the direction of Black Sabbath. As the apartment door opens up, you, with the, the next thing you notice that's odd is that it's a smoke-filled room. This roommate of yours and none of his friends, including his fiance, smoke. But this is, a, this is an apartment that's full of smoke. And what we'd been doing was burning primarily a candle that had been shaped in the form of a skull. But over the course of the evening, we'd noticed that the burning flame had split the skull completely open. It now looked even more gory than it might have in the minds of those people who put together a you know, candle shaped like a skull. And just, I guess, for fun, for want of a better word, we were burning things in the open flame of the candle. Cloves primarily, because although I don't smoke clove cigarettes, I do love the smell of cloves, uh, smell and taste, as far as that goes. Uh, sort of a sucker for a wheat beer that uses a lot of clove in its mix, as a matter of fact. But not just clove, mint and other things, enough to, to make the apartment smell like there was, uh, for want of a better word, a sense of incense and incantations going on. And one of my roommates that night had brought a girl back with him, and uh, uh, the night didn't proceed as he might have planned and hoped because she was very creeped out by what we were doing. Uh, and the funny thing is there wasn't anything remotely sinister about it. A bunch of basically good, well-behaved kids having fun, listening to music, goofing off, and uh, playing songs songs by Black Sabbath, among other things. Because one of the things that I tend to do when I get friends together is I'm, I'm often as not the bartender. I'm also often as not the DJ. And the problem with making me the DJ is that my taste in music is distinctly unusual. If you bring together a group of friends, even if you come together with the assumption that you're going to be playing Black Sabbath music, most people would be expecting, again, Iron Man and War Pigs. They wouldn't be expecting all moving parts stand still from Technical Ecstasy or Who Are You from the Sabbath Bloody Sabbath album. Mm -hmm. 
was System of a Down from their Toxicity album and their interpretation of Black Sabbath's Snowblind, also from one of the Nativity in Black collections, Nativity in Black 2 in this case, and also originally recorded by Black Sabbath on Volume 4. I'm going to stick with the Volume 4 album, returning to the original band, and Cornucopia.
bitches at Black Mass Hills. Evil minds and plot destruction. Construction in the fields of Addisburg, as the machine keeps turning, as it hates with two men.
Noting the continuing focus on Halloween and Halloween-themed music, that was uh, Megalomania from the Sabotage album, and a good uh, paranoid delusional-type track. It calls to mind one of the ideas I had for this particular inappropriate conversation that I think I'm going to hang on to just because of the length of the show. But going all the way back to Inappropriate Conversations number two, where I introduced the uh, pen name, the character, the author, and some of the things that were written by me in high school, this going back to maybe sophomore year, one of them was an angry diatribe written about a classmate using solely the lyrics of Black Sabbath, and I'm quite sure the song Megalomania had a lot to do with sort of the spine of that particular vitriolic poem. I was going to dig that up from the file cabinet somewhere, dust it off, and see if I could read it on the show, but this isn't the last Halloween for inappropriate conversations, so perhaps I'll have an opportunity to return to it. Before the uh, Megalomania track was War Pigs from a live performance from the group Faith No More, also from the Nativity and Black Collection. And before that, one of my favorite Black Sabbath songs of all time, Junior's Eyes from Never Say Die, is a highlight of a frankly underregarded and perhaps deservingly underregarded Black Sabbath album. The eighth of the original Ozzy Osbourne series, the last in that series before the band would split and leave, kind of kick Ozzy out. That particular song, though, Junior's Eyes, is a standout for me, and I can't think of very many times in my life when I've made a collection of music, either in cassette back in the day or a playlist now, of Black Sabbath that didn't include Junior's Eyes. Looking forward, and sticking with the theme of Never Say Die, not a big fan of the album, not a big fan of the title track of the album, but if I am going to play Never Say Die, the title track, it might as well be the live version from Ozzy in his solo era, and the Speak of the Devil recording.
so far, whether from the original recording or from another band doing an interpretation of the work, I've played songs from just about every one of those original eight Black Sabbath albums. Black Sabbath, Paranoid, Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, Volume 4, Sabotage, Technical Ecstasy, and that was Never Say Die, the title track, followed by Masters of Reality, the third of those Black Sabbath albums I've ignored up until now. But I don't think you can play a Halloween-themed Black Sabbath jukebox without Children of the Grave, if only because of the way the song fades out at the end of Side 1. It reminds me a little bit of the fact that Megalomania was an end of Side 1 song as well. Interesting. But as I stick with Masters of Reality for a moment, I'm going to use a couple of instrumental tracks from that album as the different drummer music to set aside the character that I want to speak about. Again, not a member of the band Black Sabbath, despite my focus on Black Sabbath in this show. No, instead, I'm going to talk about a character, a character actor, in fact, named Rory Guy, maybe better known to horror movie fans as Angus Scrim. <laughs> Angus Scrim was born Lawrence Rory Guy in about uh, 1926, so he's pushing uh, 80, 90, 89 or 90 years old right now. Um, and as a stage actor under the name Angus Scrim, he is famous for playing the tall man, the character in the 1979 film Phantasm and its sequels. Now, uh, that's pretty much a signature role, and I probably wouldn't need to name any of th- anything else he's done in his career for him to be instantly recognizable as a figure, as an acting figure, and somebody who I think probably deserves a little bit of recognition for simply being so imposing, even just from that one role. But I've already made a mention here on Inappropriate Conversations, the first in this series of October shows this year, the Halloween Treats show, by including the trailer, the original theatrical trailer, to Phantasm Two. Phantasm Two is my favorite in the Phantasm series, and despite its flaws, one of my favorite horror films of all time. And you just don't have a a tip of the hat to Phantasm without talking about both the director, Don Coscarelli, and also the actor, um, Angus Scrim. Wikipedia says this about him. Scrim was born in Kansas City, Kansas. He was originally a journalist and has written and edited for TV Guide, Cinema Magazine, the Los Angeles Herald Examiner, and many other publications. He has also written liner notes for many LPs and CDs for artists ranging from Frank Sinatra to The Beatles, as well as Arthur Rubinstein and Itzhak Perlman. I'm going to get back to that idea here in just a minute, because Scrim might be a one-note person to name as a different drummer if he were simply an actor from a scary movie series. And it's interesting that he and I have both worked in, in journalism before, and he has a far more accomplished career as a journalist, as a matter of fact, and that both of us have an interest in pop culture, movies, television, and music, the things that he has written about. But he's actually a Grammy Award winner 
And when I heard that the man who played the tall man in the Phantasm series had won a Grammy Award, I was beyond shocked and actually kind of had to do the research for myself. I think this story is best told, actually, in an article that I found online. Uh, Hero Complex is the blog Pop Culture Unmasked. You can find it at herocomplex.latimes.com. In a movies category, they've got one called Angus Scrim Phantasm's Tall Man, Still a Striking Presence. It was written in January, January 25th of 2013. And the blog entry, I think, really has a lot of whimsy to it. It goes like this. Angus Scrim always thought he would be the star of sophisticated, witty drawing room comedies. But instead of making people laugh, Scrim's been scaring the heck out of audiences as the malevolent tall man in Don Coscarelli's 1979 cult horror favorite, Phantasm, and its popular sequels. Scrim's tall man is one of the great icons of R-rated horror films, a menacing mortician with a grotesque stare and superhuman strength. He can pick up and throw a casket into the back of a hearse like it's a paper towel. The tall man transforms the dead into zombie dwarves that do his evil bidding. His weapon of choice is also memorable, a deadly silver sphere that hurls through the air and attaches itself to victims' faces. Now, it goes on to talk about his latest effort, and in 2013 it was a cameo appearance in the movie John Dies at the End. But the thing that I liked about the article was its discussion of Scrim as a writer. In fact, discussion of Scrim as a Grammy award-winning writer. Picking up later in the article, even when Phantasm hit, Scrim kept his job at Capitol Records, where he's one of the label's most prolific, accomplished writers of liner notes. This is Greg speaking. Yes, they give Grammy awards for liner notes, which is kind of confusing and exciting all at the same time, if you're somebody who writes about music. But it's also fascinating that Rory Guy, a.k.a. Angus Scrim, is one of those Grammy Award winners. Returning to the article. For 30 years, he wrote liner notes for such artists as Frank Sinatra, Nat King Cole, and even the Beatles, under the byline Rory Guy, winning the Grammy in 1974 for his notes for Corn Gold, the classic Eric Wolfgang Corn Gold. Despite his success at Capitol, Scrim always perused the trades looking for ads for acting auditions. Because most of them were blind ads, Scrim didn't have any idea what the acting job would entail. More often than not, he arrived at the audition, and they turned out to be softcore porn, he says, quoting Scrim. But when he saw an ad four decades ago for movie auditions at the Century Plaza Hotel, Scrim thought that it was too upscale for porn. At the audition, he met a teenager, Coscarelli, and Craig Mitchell, the writer-directors of the drama Jim the World's Greatest, which Coscarelli's father had funded. After an audition and a screen test, Scrim was hired to play an alcoholic father. Quoting Coscarelli, he is the first adult actor I have ever directed. <laughs> so, um, very much a, a, a pairing, if you will, of unique actor and very young, unique director. On that first film, Coscarelli said, We were so out of control logistically. We were filming in this little apartment in Long Beach, and Angus would have to drive the hour down to Long Beach from Los Angeles. We would be so disorganized that we would put him in the back bedroom and he'd sit there for eight or nine hours. More often than not, Coscarelli would have to tell Scrim that they wouldn't get to shoot any of his scenes that day. Quote, Don was terrified to tell me, recalled Scrim. He hated it because the looks I would give him would chill his bones. It was that early tall man look where we would he would raise his eyebrows. 
noted Coscarelli. I was a bit intimidated by him. When I came around to making a horror film, I thought he would be good and have that kind of presence. This article written for uh, Hero Complex by Susan King captures pretty well what Angus Scrimm was about. To me, that contrast from being a Grammy Award-winning liner notes writer for classical recordings, among other genres of music, but also appearing in five Phantasm films and other titles like Wishmaster, I Sell the Dead, Satan Hates You, and John Dies at the End, makes in some ways Scrim, or Rory Guy, a bit of an unusual, perhaps almost a national treasure, and caught my eye as a perfect different drummer for a Halloween-themed episode. different drummer music was set aside by two instrumental tracks from the Masters of Reality album by Black Sabbath. Embryo was the intro, and Orchid was the outro. And to be honest, I'm selling that album a little bit short. Most people might know that third Black Sabbath recording for the song Sweet Leaf, which, from my perspective, doesn't have much of a role to play in a Halloween theme. Nowhere near, like uh, Children of the Grave, for example. For me, my favorite song off Masters of Reality is After Forever, but again, I'm not sure the song espousing the virtues of of holding on to your your faith and having a Christian worldview, uh, odd lyrics for Black Sabbath, and not necessarily in keeping with the Halloween theme. But neither is the music they're going to play to lead us out today. I brought us into this Black Sabbath jukebox with some menacing drum and bass music from that very first Black Sabbath album. And I'm going to lead us out with perhaps the softest, most uh, beautifully melodic song that ever came from those original first eight Sabbath albums, from Sabbath Bloody Sabbath, a song called Fluff. Inappropriate Conversations has been willfully off course here during the month of October, having a little bit of fun with Halloween and having fun with music and sound clips. We will return in November to a somewhat more normal show, although I can't promise that there won't be another jukebox somewhere in the future, perhaps even the near future, because this might be the year that I actually take a serious look back at the music of my father. For now, though, if you'd like to put some dialogue into this conversation yourself, 
I can be reached at IC underscore Greg at Hotmail.com, at Twitter via at IC underscore Greg. On uh, Facebook, you can interact with this show and with Walk the Earth. Each has its own Facebook page, Inappropriate Conversations being this particular format. And also on SoundCloud, I've been putting clips of the oldest Inappropriate Conversation shows to give people an audio hint as to what the topic of any given week in the past might have been. I've got some more work to do in that area. In the meantime, though, thanks for listening.
Polyannic Cowgirl Records podcast. It's music. It's um, like a, it's like a radio station. It's like a mixtape. It's like a mixtape. And everybody knows that mixtapes mean I love you. That's right. So it's like someone saying I love you to you once a week. Tony Pucci specifically. Tony Pucci specifically. The Polyannic Cowgirl Records podcast now available at simplysyndicated.com.